Welcome to Valley Church. It's March 6th, and it's crazy because another month has passed by, and it is mind-blowing. So here we are going through Matthew, and um, last weekend, uh, just seeing Alex reminded me that I took some video at a uh, wedding, and it was one of my favorite things to do is just to, like, help somebody remember the story of their wedding. So just like taking all the video from a a bunch of different angles and stuff. I was there for like over 12 hours and I get like around like three to four hours altogether like of footage. So like I was just sitting at my computer just like watching these like video clips. A lot of them look exactly the same because like I just like take a like 20 second thing and then I take a step to the side and do another 20 second thing and then I'm like all right and do another 20 second thing and then I also have another camera on the other side that's just taking footage the entire time so that ties in with today's sermon actually because um, this seems like uh, a bit of scripture that almost feels like a repeat because it's a feeding of the 4,000. And Michael spoke on the feeding of the 5,000, I don't know how many weeks ago now, but like at first glance, it looks almost the same. Like, okay, why is this in the Bible twice? And as I was reading through all the commentaries, I was like, okay, this makes sense. This is something that adds like a different angle to the same story because like when it comes to like the wedding video stuff like maybe this angle didn't tell you much but there is when you shift to a different angle sometimes you get a different picture of what's going on maybe you see like a different glance a different uh i don't know just facial expression that someone is making so I think the Lord has something, even though it looks super similar, I think the Lord has something for us. So if you guys are ready to roll with that and um, just learn together, I'm going to pray and we'll dive into Matthew 15, starting in verse 29. So let me pray and we'll launch into some scripture here. Let's do it. Uh, Lord, thank you for the sun. Thank you for everyone that's here tonight. Thank you for Valley Church. And we just thank you that you're... uh, leading us and guiding us. And right now, we just pray that, um, Lord, you would speak to our hearts and our minds uh, as we just launch into this uh, verse here. And Lord, that you would speak to us and uh, teach us more about who you are and what you want for us. And Lord, that uh, we would just become more like you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, just going to read a small chunk here and explain it, and then read another chunk, explain it, and then got some stuff for you at the end. But Matthew 15, starting in 29, uh, says, Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet. And he healed them. The people were amazed. And when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Okay, so two things. Just a little quick recap here. Last week, Leanne taught on this kind of crazy passage where uh, Jesus has this interaction with this woman, and she talks 
to him about eating the scraps that fall from the master's table. And we, we kind of get this picture that things are starting to shift here. Uh, Jesus is not just talking to Jewish people. He is now talking with uh, Gentiles, and the Canaanite woman is a prime example of that from last week. And if we look at this passage, we see that Jesus goes from there, being uh, Tyre and Sidon, to the Sea of Galilee. And at first glance, that's like, cool, he changed locations, whatever. But the location that he actually changes to is a Gentile region. Uh, in the parallel in Mark, we can see that this is a Gentile area. And that's important because the feeding of the 5,000 happened in front of a predominantly Jewish audience. So, most important part here is that these people that Jesus is in front of are Gentiles. And also, um, again, this Canaanite woman, there's this huge, cool shift that is happening. So, Gentiles, and the next important thing I want to highlight is that Jesus heals people, but he's not just healing people and doing like, like, I don't know, oh, there goes Jesus again. This is important because in Isaiah 36, 5 through 6, uh, Jesus actually is doing stuff that fulfills prophecy. And this is kind of crazy because it's, it, it's like expected that maybe for a Jewish person, you would expect uh, Jesus to fulfill prophecy in front of Jewish people. But Jesus is fulfilling prophecy in front of Gentiles here. And it says, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. The water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Jesus fulfilled a prophecy in front of all of these people. So for us as readers, I, I highlight that because that kind of gives us a nice little lens that we can view this section of scripture with because without that, it really does look almost identical to uh, the feeding of the 5,000. So keep those things in mind as we go through. So in Matthew 15, 32, we'll start here, and it says, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. And a few small fish. So this line where Jesus says, I have compassion for these people. That's, um, again, almost verbatim for what happens in the feeding of the 5,000. But here, Again, these are Gentiles. They have, like, no reason to even have interest in the things that Jesus is saying. However, they are captivated by him. They are captivated by the way he is healing them, by the way he is teaching them, so much so that they're hanging out in the middle of nowhere, exhausting all of their resources, learning from Jesus. So this, the fact that they are willing to stay out there until, like, there is no way that they can make it back is crazy. They are at the feet of Jesus. So Jesus says, I got compassion on these guys. I want to feed them. And what do the disciples do? They 
kind of get all practical here. They're like, oh, we're in the middle of nowhere. Where are we going to get enough bread? This is a lot of people. There's no way we can uh, feed all of these people. And again, this is right, like, not too far after the feeding of the 5,000, but how did they forget about that? How did they forget that Jesus, not too long ago, 12 baskets of leftover bread all gathered up, like, how did they forget that miraculous thing that happened? How did they forget that? Um, I got a few things from a smarter person than me. His name's D.A. Carson, and he's got uh, some pretty cool reasons why that they might have forgotten. So, uh, D.A. Carson says, they might have still been a long way from admitting the Gentiles could share in any anticipation of the Messiah, of the Messianic banquet. So, Michael talked a little bit about this, um, but this was uh, just the language and the way this uh, is portrayed uh, showed a lot of how Jesus is the Messiah. There's this, eat my bread, drink my blood. This is the new covenant type language, uh, the Eucharist type language here. And so the disciples might have been like, oh yeah, that's for me. I'm Jewish. You're my Messiah. This is for us. And they might have been thinking, these are Gentiles. This isn't for them. This is like, that type of banquet is not for them. It can't be. So they could have been considering that that same thing couldn't have been done for the Gentiles. Maybe reason two. In John 6, 26, there's this, uh, it's maybe like, it sounds uh, more harsh. It's like we have, oh, Jesus showed compassion on the, the crowd that was following them around. And then we have this uh, verse from John six twenty six that says, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Essentially, Jesus is saying, you're, you're just after me because I fed you and made you happy. Like, don't keep coming to me and asking for food. They had their bellies filled and wanted more. So maybe the disciples were a little hesitant uh, to suggest, Jesus, go do the bread and the fish thing again because Jesus rebuked the crowd and might have, they might have been a little gun shy after that. And the last reason, and I think this is a, a very relatable one, it says, uh, D.A. Carson says, don't underestimate the, the capacity for unbelief. So even though the disciples had been with Jesus for a long time now, following him around, witnessing these miracles, hearing these teachings. Man, they, they truly don't uh, get everything Jesus is saying. Even though they understand most of it, they don't understand everything. They need stuff explained to them more than once. And even towards the end, like Jesus and Peter, he's like, oh, I, I'm going to go and I'm going to die. And Peter's like, no, you're ne that's never going to happen. He's like, get behind me, Satan. So there's like still so much of what Jesus says to his disciples that they just don't get. And the biggest reason is they just don't believe everything because they're human. They don't fully understand all of it yet. They are still human. And I honestly think it's like a combo of all of these three of... They don't, like, just the, the rules that they've been following and the, the way they've been living their lives as Jewish, separated from Gentiles, and they have this uh, capacity for unbelief, coupled with this, um, like, just scared to approach Jesus sometimes and ask him to do certain things. 
They are not perfect, they are human. But I think that it's important to note that Jesus does the exact same thing. He does it again. He grabs a bunch of loaves, he blesses it, and he feeds a bunch of people. Let's read that scripture right now. It says in Matthew 15, 35 through 39, he says, he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up the seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The numbers of those who ate was 4,000 men, besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into a boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. So, again, exactly the same as with the crowd of 5,000. He told the crowd, sit down. Again, this is like, uh, almost like an invitation to a banquet, not just like, hey, you guys, we're going to have a picnic, sit in the grass. This is more like an invitation to be a part of a banquet, a part of something special. And he gave thanks. Again, this same language of the Eucharist, like, this is my body, this is my blood, this Last Supper type language is also used with the Gentiles. They ate and they were satisfied and they ate until they were full. Not just like, oh, I had enough to get by, but they ate until they were satisfied. I like the way Michael said, like, till their eyes shined, probably, till they were so full and so happy that all they could do was go like, oh yeah, that was a fantastic meal. I am, I don't need anything else. And they had seven baskets of leftovers. I don't know what you guys do with your leftovers after I'm done. I'm like, oh, I need all these, like just the sheer amount of seven basketfuls of leftovers is crazy. And um, uh, that could symbolize the seven deacons and acts. It could represent the perfection that now uh, includes Gentiles. Could just be a symbolic thing that is different than the 12 baskets. Uh, This is the one thing like that Bible scholars are like, hmm, we don't actually know what this seven basketball, uh, basketballs, what do seven basketballs represent? I don't know. I'll ask them later. I'll talk to D.A. Carson about it. He'll probably know. Um, they're not exactly sure on that symbolism. However, the thing we do know is that there was more than enough, even for these Gentiles. 4,000 men, not including the women and the kids, which could have been like, maybe eight to 10,000 altogether. And a little interesting uh, like word study thing, as I was like looking through all the commentaries, the word uh, for baskets in the feeding of the 5,000, they use the word, a uh, Jewish word that was very specific to a Jewish basket. Interesting. But here they use a more general term like, hey, this is just like my basket that is not Jewish. This is just a, a bin of things. So it really even more hints at being a Gentile crowd, which again, I think is insanely important here. And then Jesus sends the crowd away and he gets in a boat. Pretty simple, pretty awesome. The feeding of the 4,000. Okay, now that I got through all the kind of scholarly stuff, and I researched that. And honestly, as I research stuff, sometimes I get bored and I'm like, oh, this is like 
not so interesting. However, when I reflect on it, uh, man, the Lord does some crazy things sometimes. And I feel like uh, this is kind of the same case here. I honestly, when I started reading this, I was like, I even asked Michael, are you sure you want to do this one? Because this is almost the same as the feeding of the 5,000. And this is why um, it's good to read some commentaries every once in a while and learn stuff, because this is where I feel like the Lord spoke some stuff to me. And the first thing I think that this verse is saying for us as Valley Church is to offer what you have. I feel like the disciples were incredibly relatable in this passage. They've been with Jesus uh, a while now, um, and Jesus is revealing how big his kingdom truly is. And all they're focused on is how little bread, bread they have. I feel like I can relate because for, I don't know, I haven't been following Jesus like a crazy long time, but over 10 years, and I've seen Jesus like transform lives. I've seen the gospel do amazing things. I've seen prayers answered. And still, I'm like the disciple sometimes. I get concerned about the practicality of like, how are we going to feed all these people? Where is this amount of bread going to happen in this remote place? I worry about like how uh, I'm going to pay for things. I worry about like if I'm qualified to do certain things. And I'm sure that maybe you felt that way too. Maybe you are the same. And like when you see like and hear like, God wants you to be a part of growing the kingdom. God wants you to be a part of this crazy mission. You're like, where are we going to get enough bread? Like, how is this possible? Money can be a big thing. Health, other people's opinions. Like, social media is not helpful in a lot of cases for Jesus followers. Maybe it's just a simple, like, lack of time that comes uh, and hurts us. And maybe even, like, we think our faith, we don't have enough faith to even go do the things Jesus asks of us. Or maybe it's the opposite. We have a ton of sin, and we're like, ah, no, like, Jesus could never want that. And that's why I feel like, offer what you have. There's, like, over, like, 8,000 people with seven loaves of bread and a few fish. Offer what you have. That is minuscule. It could like feed like two or three people probably. But the disciples put that forward. They offered what they have. And that's what I think the Lord is asking me and us as Valley Church is offer what we have. Maybe we don't think we have a lot but maybe it can move the kingdom forward. Maybe it could be a part of something bigger than what we think it could be. So tonight, I, I don't know what that could be for you, but I have a few ideas and just thoughts of some examples that I've seen currently in Valley, and, and then maybe the Holy Spirit's got something else for us. But um, man, just the, like Michael and I, like look at the finances sometimes and we're like, oh, this is gonna be a, oh, well, the Lord provided. Some of you guys like truly do provide generously and amazing and that's how Valley Church runs off of the generosity that you guys have for us, for the Lord and it's amazing. And some of you guys can uh, offer what you have there. 
we have the worship band. Uh, it's the Michael and Kristen show tonight, but it's really cool to see a lot of like Sam and uh, Greta. And I, I know some of you guys like, are like, could I be up there? Maybe you could. You should ask. I don't know. Maybe you could offer some of your talents to be in the worship band. Um, I don't know. If you guys look up there, she probably hates that I'd even like point her out. Yeah, she's nodding, yeah. But there is a person up there. Her name might be Julia. And uh, yeah, she doesn't like it when I point her out. But we have pretty much only her besides Logan, who just started learning the stuff like not too long ago, running our tech and media stuff. So if you guys are like interested in that, maybe that's something you could offer. I don't know. Um, uh, I don't know if you follow our Instagram. This is not a plug for Instagram, but some of our details come through Instagram. So go check it out. on our Instagram, if you've noticed, Patty Newsom uh, loves the Bible, and she's got a house, so she's like, this is what I have to offer. I love the Bible, I love Bible studies, and I have a house, come over to my house, if you're a lady, um, and go <laughs> learn about Jesus with me. That is something she uh, can offer. Some of you guys uh, love to play with the kids, and you're like, volunteer in the kids' classes, if that is you, man, we could use a ton of help. There's, there's, our kids are so cool, and sometimes we just need a little break to learn about Jesus, and we could use that every once in a while, just every once in a while. I'm not asking much, but you have to. No, you don't. I'm just kidding. Um, but truly, come talk to me if you want to uh, help out in the kids' classes. Okay, um, the next one here. Back to serious stuff, praying for others. Man, this is like something that I think we underestimate a lot. And like, we, like praying is not just like uh, the last ditch effort of like, oh, this didn't work and that didn't work, so I'm gonna pray. No, prayer is powerful, it is real, it affects things, it moves the heart of the Lord. And I feel like if you have like, any time, and you like, you're like, I have time for nothing, but you have 20 seconds, and you spent that extra 20 seconds on praying to the Lord, you did something that is worthwhile, something that changes things. If that is what you can offer, pray. Even showing up to church, that is cool, that is amazing, and that does something encouraging other believers, being with them, even just a welcoming presence is something that can be offered. And I don't know, there's like probably tons of other ways that we can offer our talents, our skills, what have you, and maybe the Holy Spirit might have something for you tonight in that area, but I would ask, what, is, what can I offer? And in this, I, I would just say, uh, my, I guess, word of advice or encouragement is to not try to manage what or how you offer it to the Lord, rather like have a, an open hand, open heart type. Don't try to like go like, ooh, I'm only gonna give the Lord this much because I'm worried about this. Let, let the Lord take out of your hands what he wants. Don't hold back and go like, mm, here's a little bit, Lord. Let the Lord have what he wants. Offer all of what you have. And the last uh, thing that I want to talk about that might be for us as a church is the kingdom is bigger. And I capitalized bigger because I used to be a middle school pastor. So the kingdom truly is bigger, though. 
and Jesus loves everyone. And that is almost cliche because of how much we go like, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. But I think uh, it's only cliche because uh, we forget how true it is. A lot of times we we go through our lives and we can be in our own little bubble. I know I can be like, oh, I'm doing my church thing. Here are my girls that I love. Here are my friends that I love, blah, blah, blah. And then like, I don't look up from that. I don't get exposed to anything else. And I need this reminder that the kingdom is bigger. The kingdom is bigger than I could ever imagine or ever conceptualize. And I think uh, the gap between uh, what the disciples were feeling and what Jesus was feeling in this instance, uh, when they were like, Jesus is like, I have compassion on them. They're like, how do we feed them with all this bread? I think the gap there is Jesus started with compassion. A lot of times we start with the practicality of things and how do we get things done, but Jesus started with compassion, and that's what I think I need to do. Maybe that is for us as a church. We need to start with compassion, and that happens when we spend time with Jesus. Like, you're not going to learn the heart of the Lord just uh, in a few minutes every once in a while. That happens when you spend time with the Lord, a lot of time. The most Jesus-loving people that I know have been spending time with the Lord for literally their whole lives. And they're like, yeah, I have the screw-ups and the mess-ups that I can tell you about to show you and prove it to you. That happens when we spend time with Jesus. And it happens when we spend time in prayer learning about truly what breaks the heart of the Lord. And then the same way that Jesus does, um, like, man, I'd love to be able to stand over town and just cry, like weep over the sins, over the brokenness. But a lot of times I'm not there. And I think that takes more of being with the Lord, learning more about his heart. And that happens when we're not focused on ourselves and if we're focused on other people and learning about what, what hurts them, what breaks them. And I think uh, a big thing, at least in our culture, is we need to be less focused on winning. I feel like we want to win at life and want to like, be number one and have the right answers and all that stuff. And I don't think it's about that. It's not about winning the day or winning the year or being the best. I think it truly is being after the heart of Jesus. Then we're, we're not worried about being first. Maybe we'll be more concerned about being last. And we'll be more concerned not about being strong, but about being more meek and more mild. So let's start with compassion. Start with compassion. And that can be as simple as some of the people in your family, maybe some of your friends. I don't know what it is. I've been talking to some people the homeless people in Salem, I feel like the Lord's doing something in my heart for them. I don't know what that is, but I tend to go like, oh, quit trash in this place. And, but maybe the Lord is speaking something like, maybe I need to have compassion. Maybe I need to see things through their eyes. Maybe for the people uh, that have had a different upbringing than us, we all kind of have the same like economic status. We don't know what it's like to be super rich, probably, or super, super poor, but people that have a different upbringing, different countries, different societies, all sorts of things like that, uh, 
for the poor, the disadvantaged, the orphan, the widowed, you know, the biblical stuff. And maybe even it's for the people as we look online and see the news about the war in Ukraine, like maybe it's something with that. But when we see people with compassion as Jesus did, that's when I think the kingdom truly can expand and truly can grow. It's not necessarily like a guarantee, but I think that's when the Lord is like, hmm, there are some people that I can use because the harvest is truly, truly plentiful, but the workers are few. And I think the, that the Lord needs us to have compassion. So let's start with compassion and see where that takes us.